0: Radio Prague International. The external service of Czech Radio. News. Czechia will not boycott next year's Summer Olympics in Paris if Russian and Belarusian athletes take part. The Czech Urban Research and Rescue Team has found two survivors of the earthquake that took place in Turkey earlier this week. And the Czech crown is at its strongest against the euro since 2008. The Ministry of Foreign Affairs, the Czech Olympic Committee and the National Sports Agency have all agreed that Czechia will not boycott next year's Summer Olympic Games in Paris if Russian and Belarusian athletes end up taking part in the event, the Czech news agency reported on Friday. However, if Russia's aggression against Ukraine continues, Russian and Belarusian athletes should not be able to take part in next year's Olympic Games, the chairman of Czechia's National Sports Agency, Andrey Shebek, told Czech Radio. The statement was made in an interview ahead of an online meeting of sports ministers on Friday, where Mr Shebek is representing Czechia. The International Olympic Committee, or IOC, has not yet ruled out the possibility that Russian and Belarusian athletes could take part in the Olympics. Mr Shebek said that this has caused surprise, as it was the IOC that was one of the first to call for the non-participation of Russian athletes. The Czech urban search and rescue team that has been deployed in the Turkish city of Adyaman following Monday's earthquake found two people alive on Friday morning and managed to free them from the rubble. The two were handed over on stretchers to local paramedics. The news was announced on the Czech Fire Rescue Corps' Twitter page. They also reported that colleagues from another team had rescued a woman from the rubble in the early hours of the morning. She was found by one of the team's search and rescue dogs. The firefighters have so far also found 20 bodies, 11 of whom were children. On Thursday, it was reported that they found eight victims, four of whom were children. A further 12 were found overnight and reported early on Friday morning. Czechia's currency, the Czech crown or koruna, is the strongest it has been compared to the euro in the last 14 and a half years. On Thursday, when trading closed... It was valued at a rate of 23.69 crowns to the euro, the best exchange rate since July 2008. A strong domestic currency is good news for domestic consumers and importers, according to the Czech news agency, because it helps dampen inflation by making imported goods cheaper, including energy and raw materials. It also has a bonus for Czech tourists, because it makes their stays abroad cheaper. Conversely, it can be a problem for domestic exporters as it reduces their competitiveness. January saw year-on-year consumer prices rise by 17.5%, according to data published by the Czech Statistics Agency on Friday. In December, the figure lay at 15.8%. The rise is being explained by the end of the government's savings tariff subsidies for energy, which ran until the end of last year and had a positive effect on energy rates for households. Heating, water and food costs have also risen. The Czech National Bank, as well as analysts quoted by Czech television, think that inflation peaks in January and is likely to begin falling in the coming months, going below 10% in the second half of 2023. And staying with January, well, January 2023 was also one of the warmest of its kind in Czechia for more than 60 years, this according to the Czech Hydrometeorological Institute. With an average temperature of 2 degrees Celsius, the month was 3.4 degrees warmer than the past 30-year average, and ranks alongside January 1975 as the third warmest since 1961. Only the first months of 1983 and 2007 saw higher temperatures. A US court on Thursday rejected the lawsuit put forward by Czech low-cost airline Smartwings, which aimed to sue aircraft manufacturer Boeing for the forced shutdown of its 737 MAX model planes, writers reported. The Boeing 737 Maxes were removed from operation in the spring of 2019 after two tragic accidents occurred. Smartwings wanted compensation from Boeing, claiming in March 2020 that the forced shutdown cost the airline around £2 crowns in damages. A similar lawsuit, issued by Poland's flag carrier LOT was also rejected. And finally, of course, we come to the weather. Saturday is set to see temperatures range around 4 degrees Celsius with overcast skies and rainfall, sometimes mixed with snow. This is expected across much of the country. My name is Tom Ancrow and that is all the news for now. Hello and welcome to Radio Prague International, the external service of Czech radio. Here's what's coming up in today's programme. Actor-director Yuri Madl discusses his new movie, set at Czechoslovak Radio during the Soviet-led invasion of 1968.
1: Through this film I'm bringing something very new, not only to the history of the Czech radio, but to the history of Czech Republic as such.
0: Also, a Czech startup has presented a unique lab-grown meat prototype, And later we will take a close look at what kinds of people and cultures lived in Bohemia during the Bronze Age. All that is coming up, so please stay with us.
2: Včera dne 20. srpna 1968.
0: kolem 23. hodiny
3: překročila vojska sovětského svazu Polské lidové republiky.
0: Czechoslovak Radio saw some of the most intense violence when the USSR led an invasion of the country in August of 1968. That traumatic moment and the preceding Prague spring period are the setting for a new film, Vlny or Waves in English, now being made by well-known actor, writer, director Yeti Madl. Ian Willoughby discussed the project with him at Czech Radio this week.
1: The main focus is on two brothers, and I'd say that the main topic is taking care of your beloveds in hard times. But the story takes us through the brotherhood where the older brother is hired under strange circumstances into this very exposed newsroom, a group of journalists and that puts him in danger in many ways that he doesn't want and he was trying to avoid any kind of danger in in the 60s that which was a hard time for the journalists and for the freedom of speech in general so he doesn't really work, want, want to work for the heroes, he wants to be hidden but he's there.
0: How did you research
1: this story? I researched the story through a great help of Chesky Roslás of all the workers that I, that I met eight years ago that really opened the door for me, not only to the archives, but also to, to the real journalists that, that by that time were still alive so I uh, was very fortunate to get to speak to them And then it's simply the story evolved and uh, unfolded for me in full later uh, while I was speaking to them. And I think uh, actually I'm bringing through this film, I'm bringing something very new, not only to the history of the Czech radio, but to the history of Czech Republic as such.
0: We're here at the historical building of Czech radio on Veneratska Street. How much will you actually be filming in this building?
1: Not very much actually, because it only has some features of that time and we will be having a hard time to, to avoid the modern stuff that, that, that belongs to this building naturally. But we will have like a, a day or two here shooting, a special in front of the building, in front of the gate, where actually the turmoil was happening and then a little bit in, in the inside.
0: This was of course a very important moment in Czech history. How much responsibility do you feel
1: to kind of get it right? A lot. <laughs> but still I'm a filmmaker, I'm not uh I'm not making a documentary. Still I, I feel the the need to actually move some of the things on the timeline so that I can really tell a story in some uh, in a thrilling way, not not too boring. So I changed some of the facts, but not very much of it. I still believe that I am bringing, bringing fully and nicely the spirit of the time and of, of the of the group of journalists that I'm that I'm talking about.
0: My final question: When can we hope to see this movie
1: at the <laughs> kino? <laughs> the kino. Uh, I'm hoping, or actually, we're now we're contracted to <laughs> to deliver it. I guess it must be like April 2024 or something, but I, I can't really tell. My producer knows more.
0: The Burno-based startup Muri has recently had a big breakthrough. It created the first prototype of cultivated meat in the region of Central and Eastern Europe. The company says its prototype has nutritional benefits and that the method to produce it is cost-saving and unique among companies working in this field. And Anna Fodor has more about that in this report.
4: It looks just like a regular fried meatball. But this meatball wasn't created from the mashed-up remains of an animal. It was grown in a lab. Leading the field in cultivated meat in this part of Europe is the Brno startup Miuri, which recently presented its debut prototype to the world. In fact, CEO and founder Roman Lausch says that with the prototype, his company has achieved several firsts
3: prototype of cultivated meat in Central and Eastern Europe, and it was also unique in the world, combining pore cells and microalgae cells. First of all, it's 100% cell-based, and there are no other supplements or proteins used, because normally in in different kinds of prototypes, you use soya, you use pea, you use other supplements, but here it was consisting only from cells. Either from porcine cells, which was 70%, or microalgae cells, which was the rest. And, uh, this has been our, you know, big milestone we were trying to achieve for actually more than uh, half a year.
4: The next stage was, of course, the all-important taste test. Cultivated meat is meant to target consumers who do eat meat and would only switch to this more ethical and environmentally friendly product if the look, texture and taste was indistinguishable from traditional meat. For the taste test, the piece was fried in oil with no additional salt or flavorings so that its pure taste could be discerned. Lausch says the taste is something the company will continue to build on as it develops its product, but the results of this first prototype were promising.
3: Yeah, it basically tastes like a pork meat patty. It's, it was, of course, it was not uh, huge, but uh, it was big enough to basically talk about taste and, uh, and texture and uh, how it looked. This is what you, you've seen on the pictures.
4: There are a couple of things that make Mury’s prototype stand out from other players on the market. First of all, the company focuses on pork, while most competitors are working on beef or poultry. Secondly, Mury’s technique uses a unique microalgae based cultivating medium, which means they don't have to use foetal bovine serum. FBS is usually required to make cell culture start growing, but it is a byproduct of the meat industry, and questions have been raised about the ethics of its use for cultivated meat. That is part of the reason why Lausch is so proud of his company's microalgae-based cultivating medium.
3: We have very unique uh, process. We have um, also you know, filled a patent for the whole process from the isolation to production. I mean, I cannot really go into details, but what we... Two, in terms of isolation, we are really using uh, the waste product from from the farmers. And there are no harms made to any animal, actually.
4: Muri hopes to have the finished product ready to bring to market within two years. However, this depends partly on whether the corresponding legislation will be able to catch up fast enough. Preparedness for cultivated meat varies widely across countries and continents. The first authorization for marketing cultivated meat products appeared in Singapore in 2020, while cell-based food products are not marketed in the EU at present.
0: And just your standard reminder that you're listening to Radio Prague International, the external service of Czech Radio. Of course now, it is time for our main feature of the day – The Bronze Age on the territory of the modern-day Czech Republic, a period running from roughly 2300 BC to 800 BC, saw the rise and fall of several distinct cultures. Modern archaeology shows that some of them were far more interconnected with the wider Bronze Age world than previously thought. Meanwhile, the remnants of battles unearthed in Bohemia and Moravia show that the Bronze Age collapse may also have had echoes in this part of the world. Archaeologists have also found evidence of cannibalism among some of the Bohemian settlers and were even able to recreate the curious millet beer that some of their warriors would have drunk. In 1879, Czech surgeon and archaeologist Ceny Krosner discovered a burial ground of over 50 people on a hill overlooking the Bohemian village of Unetice. They belonged to a distinct culture that established itself across a large swathe of Central Europe, ranging from Germany to Western Slovakia from roughly 2,300 to 1,600 BC. As is often the case in archaeology, the location of the find would have become our name for this ancient civilization: the Unjitice culture. The people who made up this culture were most likely the descendants of the Beaker and Corded Ware cultures – both of whom seem to trace a significant amount of their ancestry to the Proto-Indo-European peoples that moved into Europe during the previous Neolithic period, possibly from the area of the Pontic Caspian Steppe, and would leave a lasting imprint on Europe's languages, gene pool and polytheistic religions. For the next several decades, many more burial grounds belonging to the Unikica people were being unearthed across the territories that they used to reside in. The finds became so frequent that museums started declining the ever increasing numbers of skeletons that were being dug up and many of the skeletal remains were simply reburied more recent discoveries of Bronze Age hoards in Germany, such as the one around Doermsdorf in two thousand eleven, have led to theories that at least part of this civilization showed signs of sophisticated, stable, and highly stratified society, with a ruling class of princes who lived in longhouses and commanded organized units of warriors that carried bronze axes, daggers, and halberds. In 1999, the discovery of the so called Nibra sky disk by a German metal detectorist led to further astounding finds. The gold that is featured on the disc came from as far as Cornwall in Britain and may have been mined in territories that were controlled by the community that ruled in Stonehenge. These wide-ranging contacts of the Unyakitsa culture seem to have been made possible by the extensive trade routes that were formed after the discovery of bronze, a metal that is made by spelting copper and tin. While bronze was more common in the inhabited parts of Europe and the Middle East at the time, tin was a relatively rare resource, which could be found in significant amounts only in some regions of Europe, often very remote from the beating hearts of Bronze Age human civilization, the Eastern Mediterranean. Aside from Britain and the Iberian Peninsula, tin could also be found in the Ore mountain range that forms today's border between the Czech Republic and Saxony. This was the sole location for mining tin in Central Europe, and it is here, around the nearby Elba River, that some archaeologists place the core of the Unetice culture. Luboš Shiran from the Institute of Archaeology at the Czech Academy of Sciences says that aside from tin, there was also another resource highly sought after in the south, which the Unetice people would have access to. What we can
4: say for certain is that there was a trade route through which amber was moved from the Baltic coast of Poland through our territory to the south of Europe. We know this because Baltic amber has been found in Mycenaean graves and in the wider Aegean. This means that there clearly was a way of transporting amber down south to the Mediterranean, and we are quite certain that this route passed through the Czech lands, because our discoveries here from the time of the Unjetice culture feature many amber artifacts and in greater density than in nearby Germany. It is therefore clear that the amber route passed through here. It should also be said that we find considerably more amber items on this territory during the Unjetice culture than in later
2: periods.
0: Amber seems to have been northern Europe's chief export to the more developed civilizations of the eastern Mediterranean during the Bronze Age. In ancient Egypt, amber was called the tears of the eye of Ra, Egypt's sun god. This connection of amber to the sun made it a highly sought-after material, at which much splendid jewelry was made well into the times of the Roman Empire. Dr Jiráň says that while the archaeological evidence found on the territory of the Czech Republic does not indicate the existence of any local princely class, as has been hypothesized in Germany, there is material evidence of an extensive presence of Unjetice culture people in the Czech lands.
4: A large segment of the discoveries that we have come across dating to the Unjetice culture are bronze items. They can be found in quite massive quantities on the territory of Bohemia and Moravia. Just on the territory of Bohemia, we have found around 300 such depots.
0: Typically, these metal items include decorative objects and ring ingots. The latter strongly support the existence of the aforementioned trade routes, which would most likely have followed the flow of rivers, connecting eventually to the Danube further south. People may have carried these rays as a form of currency. Dr. Lubos Juraj explains.
2: We
4: have found dozens of fortified settlements in southern Bohemia belonging to the Unětice culture, but we are not sure whether they housed a permanent population or if they just served as a place of refuge for the locals in times of danger. We do know, by studying a fort on the confluence of the Lujnice and Vltava rivers, the latter eventually merges into the Elbe, that a major trading settlement was located there because we can find ceramic objects that come from the Danube basin. The most effective form of transportation at that time in southern Bohemia was using waterways, and this settlement was located on the confluence of the two rivers. Above that settlement was a fort which surveyed the route. It was also found that the rear palisade of the fort also served as the rear wall for the buildings there, but these forts were small, so we can't imagine hundreds of people living inside.
0: It should be noted that the finds related to the Unikice culture that are located in southern Bohemia are slightly different to those found in other parts of the country. The artefacts are more varied and of a higher quality. Meanwhile, the establishment of a network of fortified areas in south Bohemia resembles those found in the eastern Mediterranean. These finds date towards the ends of the Unikica period, between the mid-1700s and the mid-1600s, and point to areas of the modern-day southern Czech Republic and Slovakia being influenced by more developed proto-urbanised civilizations of the Balkans and the eastern Mediterranean. Archaeological finds show that the seemingly sophisticated Unikica culture suddenly collapsed around the 17th century BC. It is unclear how this happened – But, as in most cases of civilizational collapse, it may have been the result of several factors, such as climate change, the deterioration of farming land and invasions. According to one hypothesis put forward by economics professor Serge Svitero from the University of Réunion in France, the Unicice culture's downfall may have been caused by the source of their wealth itself – the civilization may have fallen prey to the so-called Dutch disease, wherein an initial mining boom may have led to the decline of other sectors of the economy, such as farming and construction, which would have in turn led to a gradual decline in purchasing power for the general population. It seems likely that, around this time, a new group of people moved into the Unitice culture's territory. Archaeologist Lubosirán explains.
4: During this period, it looks like there was a large population exchange, although we do not have DNA data to back this up. Thereafter, however, we have no evidence nor theories that point to another large population
2: exchange.
0: The people who seem to have moved into the territory of Bohemia and Moravia at this time belong to the so-called Tumulus culture, who bear this designation due to the mounds of earth and stone that they built for their dead. This culture, which is characteristic for the Middle Bronze Age in the Czech Republic, mainly established itself in the western, central and southern parts of Bohemia and Moravia, but less so in northern Bohemia. The people of the Tumulus culture are sometimes called the ancestors of the Celts, because no fundamental societal changes seem to have occurred between their arrival and the eventual Celtic period of the Iron Age, says Dr. Jiráň.
4: Their development seems to have been continual into the latter Urnfield culture and thereafter. However, this development is noticeable in the southern parts of Czech territory. The people in the northern parts where we see the settlement of the so-called Luzice culture, are slightly different to the tumulus culture. They seem to have their origins from the same culture, but their practices likely developed somewhere else, in northern Moravia, Poland and elsewhere. Meanwhile, the Knovi's culture, the Szczytarska culture and others in Moravia are part of the Orenfeld culture coming in from the Upper Danube area. I think that these southern cultures show a clear continuity from the Middle Bronze Age
2: onwards. a a, a dál je podle mého názoru uh, vcela jistá.
0: Nevertheless, despite this seeming ethnic continuity, Central Europe does seem to have experienced significant upheavals around the 1300s BC, exactly when most of the great Bronze Age civilizations of the eastern Mediterranean collapsed. The relatively recent discovery of the Bronze Age battlefield around Tollensee, northern Germany, where between 2,000 to 6,000 warriors clashed in a merciless battle, has been dated to exactly this period. Dr. Jiráň says that archaeological evidence points to similar battles also occurring on the territory of the modern-day Czech Republic.
4: Here in central Europe, we also come across a catalogue of military clashes and catastrophes. We find areas where there are mass graves containing dozens of people who would have lived in the local region, for example, Bluchina in Moravia or Valemska Skalka near Kutná Hora. The latter was a religious and political power center which was evidently destroyed during some sort of invasion and a resulting massacre. It is also during this period when we can see a clear upheaval of the relatively peaceful previous period that a major battle seems to have taken place in the Tollense Valley in northeastern Germany. What is interesting is that the archaeological exhibits that have been dug up there such as the axes that were used could just as well have been found in places such as the aforementioned Velimska Skalka. This shows that these battles took place during the same period. We do not know whether the invaders came from southern parts of Europe. It cannot be said for certain. However, it does seem that there was not just a single north-south migration occurring at this time, but that various peoples were moving in different directions within Central Europe. Tolenzage shows that one of these groups likely also turned up in this region of northern Germany and were not welcomed by the local population.
0: Out of these clashes emerged the final culture to dominate the territory of Bohemia and Moravia, as well as that of wider Central Europe until the end of the Bronze Age, the Urnfield culture. Named after their characteristic Urn burial grounds, this culture burned their dead and reached a level of settlement sophistication unprecedented in this region before. Dr. Yeran says that fortified settlements dating back to this period of the so-called Late Bronze Age, that means after 1300 BC, could have housed hundreds of individuals. Some of the Urnfield peoples arrived from the Danube region in the south. Meanwhile, part of the western and southern parts of Bohemia were settled by the Lujica culture, which arrived from the northeast. And part of central Bohemia became the home of the Knovis culture. Evidence such as smashed human bones points to the Knovis people having been practising cannibals. Peoples of the Urnfield culture were able to build on the knowledge that had been established over the previous millennium and used bronze in a much greater variety of ways than their predecessors. Archaeological evidence shows that population numbers increased at this time. There was also further development of skilled craft and trade seems to have been more intensive than ever before. One of the most significant finds to have emerged from this period in recent years is undoubtedly the bronze drinking vessel near the village of Klajina in eastern Bohemia that dates back to around 1000 BC. Traces of the liquid that was stored in the vessel allowed archaeologists to reconstruct this several-thousand-year-old drink, which turned out to be a type of herbal millet beer. Chemist Lukáš Kuchera from the University of Olomouc, who was able to brew this ancient beverage, described what it tastes like to check radio last year. What makes this beer specific is that it needs to be fermented with wild yeast. You cannot buy this type of yeast in a shop. That's why I purposefully fermented the beer in the vicinity of apples. The beer has a characteristic acidic flavour that will remind you of cider or wine rather than beer. It has the colour of beer, it smells like cider, and tastes a bit like lemon. Archaeologist Lubos Irán says that the bowl resembles those found in areas such as Hungary or Southeast
2: Europe.
4: We have quite solid proof that people who lived in our territory did know alcohol and that they would indulge in wild celebrations. Where we find especially strong evidence of this is in the ceramic artifacts that are excavated. We often find ceramic bowls that we believe would have been used for ritual drinking and were then buried in the ground. It belongs to a time when the ruler would have had an armed group of companions. We know that these men would have had their own special parties where they would drink alcohol, and we now know that this would have included drinking beer thanks to this discovery.
0: The Urnfield culture, along with many subgroups, remained dominant in the territory of the modern-day Czech Republic until the end of the Bronze Age around the 8th century BC, when iron started to take over as the primary metal. Although iron would usher into revolutionary civilizational changes, the people who now used it were the descendants of the Bronze Age farmers, smelters and warriors who had lived on the territory of Bohemia and Moravia since the beginning of the Late Bronze Age. And that feature is part of our six-episode-long Czech Archaeology's Greatest discoveries series, which you can find out on our website, radio.cz. But that is all for now from me, Tom McEncroe, and the Radio Prague International team. We wish you a lovely rest of the week.